Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. 53106 is our text number. That'll cost you 30 cent. Indeed, it is time for parenting with Joanna Fortune uh, once again. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, first question is this. My son was bullied in primary school from fourth class until he left in sixth class at the start of the pandemic in March 220. We arranged counselling for him, but he didn't actively participate. There was no benefit to him. He's now in junior cert year. He's happy enough, but he's on the edges of friend groups. And from my observations, he's very guarded with his peers. I've suggested counselling and even arranged two sessions. He says there is nothing wrong with him, that he's just quiet and shy, but this is not the full story. He's definitely more guarded around his peers. His free and easy interactions are having uh, the crack are no longer part of his life. Mm-hmm. I've made suggestions to him about how he could engage more meaningfully by reaching out to people, looking them in the eye, smiling, etc. But he just tells me to shut up. Is there anything we can do in the background to manufacture situations that would benefit him? He's already participating willingly and joyfully in sports. I would just love if his guard could come back down again. Do you know, this is one of those mm. tricky ones, Sean, where we almost have to get to a place where good enough is good enough here. Um, he's doing OK. Like he really oh. is doing OK. And he yeah. seems to be OK with doing OK but can, as parents, can you be okay with that? Of course, we want our kids to reach their full potential. And you're linking it here that he had like a really negative experience in primary school for a prolonged period of time, fourth class until sixth class. And actually, it was interrupted bullying rather than resolved or dealt with bullying because it was the pandemic that seems to have stopped it rather than it being addressed. And I think that's something to hold in mind, too, that that may be very much unprocessed as an experience for him. Him because, you know, he was removed from the situation by circumstance rather than anyone being held accountable or it being, you know, properly, adequately spoken to. So I'm, I don't want you to go all the way back there with him because that's a number of years ago now, but just be very mindful of that. And I know that you booked some counselling for him and two sessions, but of course, two sessions is really just a foot in the door. You know, mm. nothing is really going to happen in that time. And he's also, I'm guessing, approximately 15 at this stage so you can't want him to go enough he will also have to want to go at this age it's slightly different than when your children are much younger and you can bring them to see somebody and you have more say in that he has to want this as well and there's a lot in here you know he's saying I'm just quiet and shy I'm perfectly fine you're offering him you know help with make eye contact and smile but you know when you're in a position that you're highly defended and it's something you don't want to visit and you don't want to go to even a truly helpful offer can be experienced as judgment. Yeah. So yeah. while you're saying I'm helping you, he's hearing I'm not enough for you. You want to change me. You want me to do something that isn't coming naturally to me or I'm not comfortable doing. So he's rejecting you with the shut up piece here, mm. which is, you know, if you take it quite literally and not in the kind of rude, dismissive way, he's literally saying, please stop talking about this. Yeah. Please stop yeah. bringing this up with me. So maybe hear that message <clears throat> and let him know you've heard it. You know, say, look, I worry about you because that's my job as your parent, but you're telling me that you're okay, and I do believe you. But if you want to go through this or talk it through or if I can help in any way, you know I'm more than willing (laughs) Mm. to help you. And he will know that. The fact, Sean, that he's participating willingly and joyfully, as it's put here in sports, this is what brings me to a place of maybe he is okay, and Mm. you just have to be okay with okay. Yeah, 
Uh, now he's more guarded around his peers, mm-hmm. but we don't. I suppose we don't know like whether that's the result of bullying or that's the way he might have ended up anyway. We, and that it might be, be a little of both. Yeah. Do you know that? To be honest, it might be something that he had a really negative experience in primary school for a long period of time. Yeah. Of course, that had an impact. It would have to. And he's managing OK. And once he has peer interactions and he has some kind of friendships, I do think we all need friendships because we need connections. We need that relational piece. And school is such a big part of his day. But he clearly has some capacity for that relational connection because he is participating in sports. Now, I'm assuming there's team sports here. I I probably shouldn't make that assumption. It could be anything, to be fair. But if it is, you know, it's that last piece, isn't it, where this parent is saying, I would love if his guard would come back down. Mm. Of course, because we want to rescue him and undo the impact of that negative experience in primary school. But he is doing okay, And it has to feel safe, doesn't it, with your peer group to fully relax. And in adolescence, sometimes that's just not the experience we have. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it really isn't. But if he's got sports, if he has something outside of school, if he has positive peer interactions, if he's going to school and he's doing well enough just be available, you know, be available, but don't don't cross that line too much into let me teach you how to do this because he will reject you because developmentally he's primed to do that anyway. And yes, you are being helpful, but it might be just crossing that line into he's experiencing your endeavours as intrusive. Mm. I can just imagine this parent listening to you now bawling their face saying, but, 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 but I want to fix them. I want to go back and get back to that boy that wasn't bullied. But, you know, also do maybe do that linking and narrative for him around, you know, do you think you're doing okay after what happened in school? Because we didn't really get to fix that properly. Because also the start of the pandemic was sixth class. He didn't go back to primary school. Yeah, yeah. You know, there was no closure here. Yeah, no, absolutely But it doesn't not. mean he wants that now. You can keep an open door on that and let him know, look, you went for those two sessions. It wasn't for you. You've let me know that if you ever change your mind, I will make sure that you have somebody to talk to and work all that through with. Yeah. Our eight-year-old is awaiting an ADHD assessment, but we are fairly sure he'll get a confirmed diagnosis. I'm wondering if children with ADHD do best with a particular style of parenting. We attended a recent talk for parents about ADHD and the speaker was advocating for timeouts and reward charts, neither of which we use at home as we don't believe either are effective. We work hard to keep a good connection with our three children and in general they're well behaved. Our eight-year-old is definitely more challenging in ways and we are trying to educate educate ourselves about ADHD and how best to support and help them. Yeah, so, I mean, you know from me answering questions like this before, reward charts, uh, timeouts, they're not something that I personally Mm. or professionally advocate. But I can see where they've come up in this talk because it's a behaviour modification tool and a lot of the overt behaviours with ADHD, that's what they're used to manage those behaviours. But I think this parent is seeing this really well, that it shouldn't be at a cost of the connection. And, it, you know, if you only ever respond to behaviours and you never invest in what's underneath those behaviours, in general, neurotypical children, we would always say go to what's underneath them. Sometimes with ADHD, I have impulsive behaviours or compulsive behaviours that I can't get on top of. And some of those behaviour modification strategies can be effective. 
effective in that regard. There are a number of people who write on this, especially from a parenting perspective. And I don't know who you attended the talk with, but they may well be highly informed on this as well. But Dr. Mark Burton, he has a book, Mindful Parenting um, for ADHD. So it's also talking about the relational piece. And this parent, I'm thinking, might find it a nice way of blending Mm. those other parts of your parenting that are comfortable and natural for you, rather than trying to adopt an overt parenting strategy that isn't your natural inclination, because that's always going to feel a bit wooden and clunky and performative if you don't fully subscribe to it. Michelle Garcia, actually, I think her name might be double barreled. I think it's Michelle Garcia winner, but Michelle Garcia will find her online. Um, She developed this concept around social thinking as an intervention as well. And that can be a very effective mechanism with ADHD, but also ASD as well and some other parts of the spectrum as well, ODD. And she talks about a number of things like that. But using social thinking and social stories, again, that might be a nice way of blending behaviour focus with your other kind of preferred parenting style. So this is something that, yes, you go to a talk and then you do some reading and then you have to filter through all of that and say, where do we fit with all of this? How Because this isn't that you know, you're now parenting ADHD, you're parenting your child who happens to have or may well have a diagnosis of ADHD, but you're still going to be giving clear, effective instructions. I would say be very focused on saying what you want your child to do instead of waiting for them to get it wrong and then saying, hey, don't do that. Mm. If you are saying, please don't do X behavior, make sure you're balancing that straight away. I would be happier if you could do why. Why will work out much better and really focus on the why. Exactly Mm. what I want you to do. Um, Give do overs would be the other thing. Give some opportunities to self-correct the behaviour. Going, Oh, I think you forgot how we do that. Do you want to try it again? Let me give you a hint and then see if they can Mm. follow through on that, because that's really what you're trying to do. It's very structured, more than overtly behaviour modified and always focusing on the behaviour and the timeouts and the sticker charts and all of that stuff. If you're if you're structured in your parenting and try say it in 10 words or less, try have a positive reframing about what you want me to do and give me a chance to self-correct with your support and direction. I think that will stand to you as well. Uh, if they get a positive diagnosis and we don't know if they will mm-hmm. or not, uh, the, the, uh, can ADHD be, be on a scale anyway? Absolutely it can and it's not going to look or sound the same in every child mm. and that's something you know that people get missing. We, we tend to have one understanding of ADHD that it's extreme hyperactivity and it's acting out behaviours. It's not always that at all and it can go unspotted because of that misunderstanding oh, about yeah. it for a number of years for some children who are much later getting a diagnosis when maybe their overt presentation isn't so much hyperactivity, but maybe it's more rejection sensitivity or impulsivity. So it it is absolutely worth getting to know your child and their ADHD and then trial and error to some extent, but working out what is the perfect parenting balance within your family? And that's not going to be exactly as any parenting talk or any book says. You'll be finding, I'm going to try that. Oh, that worked or that didn't. And you're going to tweak as you go. Right. 
I'm hoping that you might be able to help me with uh, building my daughter's confidence. She's 12 and has a younger sister who's 10, who's very accomplished in both sport and music, which attracts a lot of attention for adults, especially, and can make my other daughter feel inferior. If we're at a soccer game, other parents will come over and compliment my youngest on her exploits on the field. Or similarly, if we're at one of our dance recitals, she is showered with praise and compliments. Meanwhile, my 12-year-old is ignored. I can tell this is impacting her because she also plays sports and dances, but she hasn't excelled the way my younger girl and uh, the way my younger girl has, and often she will start ahead of her in soccer. It breaks my heart to see her little face looking on from the sideline, watching her younger sister score goals. I feel like this is impacting their relationship too. What can I do to help my older girl see how special she is? Oh, it's tough, isn't it? Crikey, yeah. You know, and because there's only two years between them, developmentally they're kind of within arm's reach of each other as well. So they will be on the same sidelines and the same dance class. You know, they're not developmentally far enough apart for it not to matter. I think, you know, of course I'm going to say, you know, always praise effort over outcome and that's with both of your girls. It sounds like the second girl is getting a lot of overt praise for prowess and her strengths and particular skills and that's fine and important that she get that but in your family and on the way home and on the way you can focus with both girls on the efforts they made watching out for your players passing collaborating and you can really be providing that narrative. I think as well there's a lot where you're watching and looking at how your 12 year old might feel but I'm wondering have you spoken with her about it or has she spoken with you about this? So if you could take, you know, find the oper- a natural opportunity to be out in the car for a drive or, you know, going for a hot chocolate or a little walk or something like that and say, you know, how are you finding whatever the sport or the dance class is? Are you enjoying it? What's your favourite part about it? If there was anything you could change, what would it be? And you might find that she's, I really like it. It does bug me that she gets all the praise, but I do like it. And I think we can underestimate the importance of our children participating in an activity that even if they're not particularly outstanding in it. Yes, they still enjoy the it. pleasure yeah. in it is enough. I do think it's such a shame with children's activities that it becomes so skills focused so young. Yeah. So, you know, it really does because actually, you know, enjoying something for the, the fun of it is a perfectly valid reason to do it and keep doing it for as long as possible. So I think you want to really reinforce that and give permission for that and say, you know, I see how much fun you have. I can see you smiling and laughing with your teammates or whatever it is and I know you're enjoying it and that gives me so much pleasure to watch you if that's true by the way you might also want to help her find her thing and her great that she's doing the sports I really think Mm. you know children and girls especially really need to stay at sports for as long as possible because there's so much pro-social benefits but she might also benefit from something like scouts drama art other things that Mm. might bring her pleasure that could be her thing yeah, that her sister yeah. doesn't need to do. It might be no harm, particularly at the age they're at, that they each get to have a thing the other one isn't in. Yes, Even if the other yeah. one is interested in it, it's, you know, that they, you kind of protect <laughs> that space. I think you praise how she is as well. You know, I'm really proud when you can clap along for others. I'm really proud when you can. This might be hard for you when other people talk about your sister, but it's really important you know that I see you. I see what you're doing and I think you're doing great and I'm really proud of you. Don't assume it. Overtly state it. Yeah. 
I've got a three-year-old and a baby, uh, but I'm also a stepmom to a 16-year-old boy. My stepson shares his time between our house and his mum's house, not equally much more time at his mother's house. He is a wonderful big brother to his sisters here, and his little three-year-old sister adores him. He always calls me Mammy in front of her, and while she knows his mother by name, she doesn't know he has a different mother to her. She's obviously very young, so we have never discussed it with her. Now that we have a new baby, she often talks about when the baby was in Mammy's tummy. And when I was in Mammy's tummy, and recently she said, Sam, not his real name, was in your tummy too. I didn't tell her that he wasn't in my tummy, but I also didn't say he was, as I don't want to lie or confuse her. It got me thinking about when and how we should explain the whole situation to her. She knows when he's gone away that he's in Mary's house, not her real name, but he doesn't. But she doesn't know that that's his mammy. I would love some guidance on what we should do or say as she and her sister get older. I'd like to start preparing them now. I think now is the time, yeah, actually, because yeah. she's starting to ask these questions or make these comments. Because, you know, at the moment she's accepting that Sam spends a lot of time in Mary's house. But the next question coming is, if she's not his mommy, why is he over there? So, yeah. I mean, this question is coming now. Anyway, I think, you know, there's a lovely book, Us Born Do It. They, have, of course, do lovely books about explaining concepts. But one that's called All About and Families. families yes. Yeah, it's great <laughs> yeah. because, I mean, every family formation you can imagine is in that book. Mm. And it's all, you know, normalised, equal. This is the way it goes. And I think it's a really nice support for this. But don't just rely on the book. <laughs> Much yeah. tempting as that is. OK, leave it lying around and see. I think you need to have that story and she's saying, you know, Sam grew in your tummy that you can say, you know, he didn't. Sam grew in Mary's tummy. Mary mm. is Sam's mommy, but Sam also has me and daddy and you and the baby. And that's our family. And you just say it. Yeah, yeah. And if you're met with why and say, well, you know, families are made up of all different types of shapes and sizes. And our family has um, a daddy and there's two mommies. One belongs to Sam and I'm also his stepmommy, his other mommy or whatever language you want to put in there. And we're his family and that's the way our family look. But you begin now to say, no, that's not where Sam grew. Yeah. And you now before you tell your three year old all of this, make sure you've touched base with Sam. And know. ideally, yeah. Mary, mm. to say, look, your sister has begun asking these questions. This is what I was going to say to explain it. Are you comfortable with that? Is there another way you'd like me to talk about that? Mm. Um, because really, this is a conversation that's knocking on your door now, but that's coming. Yeah, absolutely. The thing is, at the moment, the two little ones are, are think Sam is their brother, not half brother. And, uh, I, I and if you introduce that, that yeah. no, I would never introduce that language. I would be saying Sam is your brother. Yeah. But the way our family is made up is Sam's mommy is here. That's where he is when he's not with us. But we're also Sam's family. And he's also some of the time here. Yeah. I wouldn't get into half brother or anything like that. I would just say he's your brother because he is. Because he, yeah, yeah. and certainly it's kind of saying he's not the guy you thought he was as, as opposed to. And I just to, think you're introducing mother. another. Yeah you know, quite abstract concept, which is very hard for a young child to understand. And there's no, I mean, I don't think there's a need for that language. I think their brother, yeah. their sister, that's the way it is. Yeah. Joanna, thanks a million. Thank as you. ever, uh, Joanna Fortune, there you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break after that. What is the European political community? Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.